Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to is, Look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulb, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. You know, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just it's, they're just... There's, <laughs> Good racing, and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars. Joining us for his debut on Inside Supercars from Auto Action, it's Cameron Kirby. Good evening, Cam. Thanks for having me. From Inside Motorsport, it's Peter Norton. Good evening, Peter. Good evening, everybody. You've got to look after this rookie, all right? Oh, yes, okay. Look, <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can handle myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an interesting time. I'm going to start with something that just annoys me. A few years ago, V8 Supercar said, we don't have round... Well, sorry, each race is around and we have events. And yet this week it's all about the 500th round. Now, could anyone please tell me, does that mean that we'll have the 500th, the 501st, all this weekend? Or is it a case of this is actually the 500th time, the 500th weekend that people have turned up to go racing? Cam? Uh, my understanding of it is the 500th weekend. Um, it, is, it is very interesting, though, for, from Vietz, because they're suddenly you know, promoting the, the round aspect of it all because they've, you know, a couple of years back, as you probably know, they were like, no, we don't have round winners anymore. It's just race winners. And they, they ditched all the round victories. So it's a bit... You know, it is it is odd that they've come around and all of a sudden promoting the fact that it's the the round and the the weekend kind of aspect of it. So yeah, it's an interesting sort of take. Does this just highlight if the series itself, Peter, doesn't know what it is? How the blooming hell do they have any hope of even the most loyal follower know what's going on? Well, it is confusing because at the last race meeting down in Tasmania someone was celebrating, was it 500 race wins? So you go from 500 mm. to, yeah, it really is confusing when you pick and choose what statistic you're going to celebrate. Um, now, uh, Indianapolis, um, a couple of years ago, celebrated the uh, 100th anniversary. And now here we are a couple of years later, they're celebrating 100 again. Um, yeah, sometimes you have to work out what it is you're celebrating and lock that in. Otherwise, it does look at uh, look as if it is cheap PR work. But I think Indianapolis can kind of get away with it though, because they had those years where they stopped with the war. But like it, but uh, and a similar analogy though, it's like it's like Bathurst when they had the uh, that the it was the hundredth running and then the hundredth fiftieth no, running and then the fiftieth anniversary. There's you know there's it is very difficult to try and understand what try and you want to focus on because they do V8 Supercars is quite prone to this, of mixing and matching what statistics they want to promote. It's, it's all of a sudden it's race starts and it's round starts and it's race events and it's round events. And they're very different numbers. I mean, particularly now when we're having two or three race races within a round and a weekend. And the, the real pity here is that I don't think the sport needs to have PR tricks to create interest because we saw in Tasmania, the racing was fabulous. And mm. in many respects, that could stand alone. It's, yeah, agreed. It, it just, once again, goes back to the fact that they don't know what they are. 
invert supercars so that they don't have a clear message. And this is just once again confusing the message, particularly when over the course of the weekend we're going to have at least two race winners. I can't even remember what uh, what um, format they're running this weekend. Uh, but, two, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a 120 and then a 200, I believe. Yep, I should get the book out and check, but uh, what would be it for me to actually... Uh, do some research before we start the show. Um, but, yes, it, it just says that the sport doesn't know what it is either. And uh, I think that is a huge problem for promoting it and uh, promoting it to the uh, wider public. Um, and my, my, my point here as well is, from a you know, journalist's point of view, is promoting the whole round on the, on the 500th round angle, it's not a, a good angle. Like, it's not a good news angle at all. I mean... That's not a, like a great way to promote it, to, to, particularly to, to people outside of the V8 supercars sort of um, already established fan base. You want to be going with the you know the action and the fact that we've had different winners every single race so far this year, and the racing has been spectacular at each round. Each championship round has had fantastic racing, and I think they've just kind of missed a, a good opportunity for PR. I think 500th round is a pretty weak angle. I, I think uh, the, the, the real cynic in me. Uh uh, can see is that it, it could backfire. Uh, fans going, oh, 500 uh, rounds. Oh, let me think. Yeah, I can remember some of the good ones. And they might come up to 10. And they go, oh, does that mean there was 490 that were duds? I was about to say, well, I haven't cared about the first 499. So <laughs> how important <laughs> is this 500? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think we're doing disservice to... Uh, uh, to some elements of the sport, uh, uh, clearly that uh, it is a good, strong history across the 500. Uh, some were stronger than others, uh, but uh, yeah, a little bit of a, a PR ploy, I think, to create interest where uh, it's really not needed. There's a, enough interest as it is. Yeah, so yeah and, and, and celebrate your milestones when they're important. You know, 500 rounds. No other category in the world really goes. Oh, this is our 500th race. That's really important. Celebrate the proper milestones. Mm. It's a little bit like Harvey Norman having a sale. <laughs> yes. Or, or has anyone ever paid full price for a uh, for a, a, a Persian rug? Uh, correct. If it's always on sale, I think it dilutes the message. Mm. Yep. All right, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Well, the Australian... Uh, earlier this week really set the cat amongst the pigeons with a interesting story they ran which not only said that the uh, series is going to lose its two financiers which were putting in well which were running a line of credit peter i think you're the man who's more qualified to talk about this to the series and um and then in the same story uh the australian went on to say that a management buyout, which effectively meant that uh, Warburton and team owners 
potentially buying the series back off Archer Capital had been looked at earlier and uh, hadn't gone ahead. Was this just a mischievous little story being run by The Australian, which, of course, is a news-limited publication? Um, I found this one quite remarkable. Uh, yeah, the, remarkable in the first instance that the news of their refinancing got publicised. Um, the V8 Supercars is not a publicly listed company. It's not the kind of disclosure that would normally be made. Uh, so it, it really is quite surprising that the news that um, uh, the two banks involved uh, are choosing not to renew those banking facilities. Uh, but anyway, um, they, it hasn't been anything uh, announced to say that the story is wrong, so we have to assume that that's locked in. Um, I don't think it's panic stations. Uh, the the business was sold to Archer for many hundreds of millions of dollars back in the day, uh, and the amount in uh, question in these stories is $24 million. Um, it's a lot of money, but then again, it's not a lot of money in the world of business these days. So to, mm. uh, to replace that loan facility, uh, pr- provided that they've got suitable security to put up, um, really shouldn't be a big deal for them. So I, I don't think it is, uh, hits the, the panic button in any way about the finances of the sport. Well, I know Lewis Isaac was on the case at Auto Action and, of course, the, the Speed Cafe team both were running stories there. And um, I, I know the Speed Cafe story did uh, have a um, Vert Supercar um, spokesman saying that it was absolute rubbish. It was all absolute rubbish. And um, I know Lewis's story, Cameron, you, you would know the background to that. Yep. Yeah, no, we've been told um, every time we've contacted Vets because we're going this, it's, you know, it's completely incorrect was the quote from James Warburton we were given. And that's the line that the Vets because is going with here, that, you know, it's all sort of hearsay and blah, blah, blah. But I think, I think it's a bit, uh, I wouldn't be dismissing the Australians so quickly, especially since this is their bu- the business aspect of the paper. And, and that's one side that hasn't, you know, it's not always incorrect. And these guys have got fact-checkers that would be fact-checking this stuff pretty intensely. This is, these are big claims to be making, and they're not the first time these claims have been made. And, you know, it's one thing to come out with a spokesperson and say, oh, this is completely incorrect, but that's all they've been doing at the moment and there's more information coming out and leaky boats aren't a great sign. No, and interestingly enough, uh, of course, last year we had the talk that the owners were were poised to try and get this sport back. Uh, Peter, I don't know, what do they actually achieve, achieve by owning the sport? I, I can understand a larger slice of the revenue goes back to the teams, but there's a lot of headaches that go with it as well. Um, I think that... Uh behind this possible strategy is um, what Kerry Packer did. You uh, sell a valuable asset uh, at a very high price and then you buy it back a couple of years later at a lower price um, Mm -hmm. at a a sustainable uh, price that uh, reflects the current realities. Um, So they'd get back their their control. Uh, They'd get back a larger and uh, more reliable dividend stream uh, and they've had the benefit of, of that profit that paid off loans and a few other things uh, for their own, uh, their, their own uh, balance sheets at the team level or also at, uh, at, at their personal owner's level. Um, so what this price, uh, if, if they were going to do a management buyout, uh, the price would reflect the, the new world reality of TV rights, 
uh, I think Archer paid a little bit of a premium uh, based on what what might have been possible. Um, you know, they they mm. probably got uh, a bit swept up in the idea that um, that the AFL gets hundreds of millions, that the NRL gets hundreds of millions. Um, that was probably swept up with that kind of optimism. Today's price would reflect the new reality that those big television contracts are for the icon sports and most other sports are doing it a bit tougher for TV. And as, as much as it's hard for some of us to, to admit, V8 is a small sport in Australia. It's, we, we love it and it's brilliant, but it's, you know, it's not worth as much as they, they sometimes think they're worth. The other element in trying to value such a business is uh, it's no longer just a, a sport that goes racing. Um, we've got a very good uh, business there now in terms of uh, event promotion um, and television production, and they've diversified their income stream. Uh, and in particular, the, Bath the Bathurst 12-hour race um, is a whole you know, separate business under the same umbrella that uses the same intellectual property and much of the same infrastructure, but it's no longer reliant on the strength of the V8 uh, supercar brand. Uh, so it's, to me, a, a very interesting and more diversified business, and you would value it more along some of the conventional lines rather than basing it on the optimism of big TV contracts. Mm. But, that's, mm. uh, but that said, Peter... When you see a sport that has so much support coming from News Limited, you, you, if you're on the outside, you would think that, well, if News Limited are, are propping it up like they did with the NRL Super League battle, like they've done with the Aussie Rules and to some extent with the A-League, you would expect that they would be giving it the full treatment and therefore would be on its way to becoming a, a, uh, a brand with household recognition across the country? Yeah, I, I don't pretend to understand the, the internal workings of News Limited and the politics between the different mastheads. Um, I would expect that the journalists at The Australian um, would be quite independent in their thinking uh, and they'd mm. want to report a business story just on the basis of the, the business story um, perhaps a little bit more independently than what the Daily Telegraph might run in an editorial sense about the sport that they they have a hand in promoting and have a, a I guess a vested interest uh, through some of their their other assets uh, for the sport to be successful. Mm. And the critical thing is when you're talking about uh, particularly the Australian when it goes against the Financial Review. James Warburton has always had uh, the uh, phone turned on for the Financial Review. We've seen a lot of uh, financial review stories because he is very conscious of the position the company has to be in in the business world and uh, that has been a, a huge change in the way that the uh, sport has been presented to the business community, Cameron. Yeah, in, indeed, and we've got to remember that James actually has is invested in the sport itself. He has um, a stake. It's just, you know, he doesn't have a, a large stake but he has equity in the, in the sport, so he's He's not here to muck about with the sale as well. He's got, he's got definitely things to be focusing on. And an interesting aspect with this sale is the fact that with when Archer bought V8 Supercars, it came as part... The money used for it came from a, a piggy bank worth about a billion dollars, um, I've been told by a well-placed source. And the money for that billion dollars was actually divvied up 
about $700 million was put into a healthcare fund, which they're just, Archer is about ready to sell to a Chinese company for a for billion dollars. So they got $300 million worth profit from that already they've made from their billion dollars. So I don't think they're too focused on really getting, you know, a, a massive premium price of it because at this point they've made their profit from their billion uh, well, from their $700 million investment. So the, the, the money they pay, I don't think, is the... At this point, I think they, they're probably looking to get out. It's, it's about a five-year cycle for these funds to, to get in, see if they can make a profit, and then get rid of it. They don't want to sit on something for too long. And that cycle is coming up for, for Archer and Viet Picard. So I think at this point, if it drags on too long, the, the, the price is going to still slowly start to get a bit lower. Mm. Well, Lewis and yourself at Auto Action must be sick of hearing the word, no, that's not right, because... Uh the Australian also ran a story about a potential sale to Seven West, which, of course, is Kerry Stokes's, or from memory, it's Kerry Stokes's company, and um, and of course that is linking it back with the Seven Network again, which they just left. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I um I see too much into that one. It's yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure if I really really buy that too much. It's. We'll, we'll we'll see, of course, but again, it, it's it's all shadow games at the moment. is a difficult thing because there's, there's definite truths out there that have been leaked. There's also been um, fallacies and, and, and lies that have also been leaked. So it, it, it's money in the water when it comes to this, this this issue, and it really kind of needs to be clarified from Viet Cars properly. I mean, the, the no comment is the best way to deal with this situation. It's the best way to deal with any sort of PR and leak. You just say no. I'm not not commenting. And it goes away, but. If this becomes reality, they're going to need to start speaking soon enough. Mm. And, of course, completely incorrect uh, was what Lewis was told with um, the uh, Seven West story as well. So it's a, a firm, a firm, um, uh, what do you say, a firm line that is going uh, down the same road each time, Peter. Uh, yes. Um, the fact that it keeps bubbling up... Um yeah, it creates interest. It uh, uh, gives the topic oxygen and keeps it alive. Um, hey, uh, it wouldn't be the first time that uh, a story about uh, uh, a potential sale uh, is created to see who else comes out of the woodwork. Um, you know, if, mm. we're, if we're just you know, speculating about some of the possibilities, um, they keep saying no, that uh, uh, the ones that we've just spoken about aren't happening. This is discussion. That's a bit of uh, uh, speculation and oxygen. Someone may go, hmm, maybe it is something I'd like to buy. Yeah. Mm. It is going to be inter- it is going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And I haven't ruled out the fact that the teams want a bigger share. I don't think they want the full headache. And so, to me, the most likely outcome is the teams might go back up. Um, if they're sitting in around the 20, 20 to 25% mark, teams might go back up to a 40 to to 50% mark with a new owner, you know, coming in, having a controlling interest, but maybe not having the largest the largest portion. But I think I think they could also maybe push some people away from buying the sport because it's being having the, the teams have that 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 control could also if someone wants to come in and go right. I'm going to fix this thing because Vietz because isn't out of the woodwork yet. It's got its own problems, and 
it does need sort of someone to come in and, and, and go, no, let's sort this out. And having the teams in there with a bit of a controlling influence can all, could be a turn-off for some buyers, I think. Mm. But it doesn't matter how it's structured, the teams ultimately, Peter, have got uh, complete control and you have one of the great conspiracy theories of all time. Well, uh, I was just about to say, uh, if I was an investor, I would not buy 49% of uh, the V8 supercar business. Um, you want to control it outright so because uh, fundamentally there's a, a, a conflict of duty um, if you've got the V8 supercars being controlled by the voices from the teams. Keep in mind that uh, uh, when people go racing, there are certain uh, costs that get divvied up. You know, what things get provided to the teams, what things do the teams have to pay for themselves. So uh, if you're running the sport, um, you're going to get that conflict between should about supercars pay for something or should the teams pay for something? So if you're a uh, if you're a team, of course you want V8 supercars to pay for as much as possible to uh, make sure that you're profitable. But you've got to have a big enough stake in the game. With the teams, have to have a big enough interest in the game to not go. Hmm, we don't want to play here anymore. Let's just go up and set up another V8 series or another series with our star drivers, which are the asset and. Mm put in some pay drivers just to run out whatever contracts they've got in place to uh, keep that side of the, uh, the deal alive. That's the ultimate power game, isn't it? Um, you, you let V8 supercars believe that they control it. They uh, own the calendar. They control uh, and own the iconic uh, events and dates. But as we saw, was it 20-odd years ago now, um, you, you may have the uh, long weekend in October race at Bathurst, but if you don't have the household names, if you don't have the iconic teams and the history, if you don't have the attention of the fans, that asset isn't particularly valuable. Um, so it's quite a complex little equation about who has legal control, uh, but who has the real power in the politics of, uh, of big business that is the sport. Mm, and if anyone saw Four Corners on Monday night, they'll know that control is a very, very interesting concept when it comes to big business. Camp, you wanted to say something before we go to a break? Yeah, it is. The other, I think the one other fact that is along with the drivers and along with the team is TV deal. It's a, it's a big event because that's a big point. And I think that's something that also needs to be considered with this sale with that because whoever comes in has to sit with that TV deal. And if they like it or they love it, it's, or, or hate it, sorry, love it or hate it, it's it's a big issue, and I think some some potential buyers could be turned off by that as well. It's it some could could love it and, and and agree with the the current thinking, but I think there's a lot of people out there that might go, I want to get rid of that as soon as possible or wait until that deal's up because having to sit on pay TV is gonna is gonna it hurts sponsors. It does. It's just it's one of those things that's coming out, and eventually they'll we'll have the numbers to prove it. But it's not a it's not a great thing. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. There's plenty more to talk about when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Cameron Kirby from Auto Action and Peter Norton from Inside Motorsport. And Peter, we've seen retro liveries before. We saw it uh, quite successfully at uh, Bathurst a few years ago. But now we're talking about a regular retro heritage round being held at Sandown. And Sandown has certainly been a focus of a lot of attention over the last week or so with the uh, Melbourne... Oh, now it's the Melbourne Racing Club, isn't it? Not the Melbourne Jockey Club that operates that site and the Caulfield site now making a commitment to the Sandown site for uh, the foreseeable future. Um, Yes, that was good news. Anyone that's visited Sandown knows that it's plonked right in the middle of suburbia now. Um, There are some uh, lovely homes right up against some of the fences. Uh, So... The number of days or weekends that they can go racing is quite restricted because of the the noise concerns for the the neighbours. So fabulous news that there is a commitment uh, not to buckle under the pressure and just sell it as a housing estate. It would make a great housing estate. Um, People could make quite a bit of money out of that. But uh, good news for us, uh, we're secure for a little while. I love the idea of a heritage weekend. Um, We've seen it in quite a few sports. Um, A lot of the football codes dust off some of the old jersey designs and uh, uh, trot out the history. But I think similar to what we just uh, said earlier in the program about celebrating something every every other weekend, um, it becomes a little bit old hat. So I think um, one race weekend per year as a celebration of the sports history, I think that would fit pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite keen on it. Um, everyone knows that if you're in Sydney uh, for Father's Day, you, you trot out to uh, the racetrack and see all of the, the muscle car masters, all of the fabulous old machines, and it really is a, a growing uh, event in sense of heritage and history. People love that stuff. Uh, I think the V8 supercars, um, which livery would I love to see out there? It's getting a bit tricky because... Most of the obvious choices have been used in the last couple of years at Bathurst, and I've really loved some of those. Uh, I think you have to scratch a little bit deeper to find some of the more unique and interesting ones, as we saw with um, David Reynolds with the, uh, with the, the Green Falcon. Uh, it wasn't one that was top of mind, but it came out, and I think it got uh, a lot of people's votes as the, the best uh, retro livery that we saw. And I, I, you have to also remember that there are limitations on what you can do because of the changes in the law. I would love to see a JPS V8 supercar, um, but it's very hard to do a JPS livery without it automatically reverting back to you promoting cigarettes, Cameron. Mm. This is yeah, this is a huge well, difficulty, isn't it? It is, because one of the ones I'd love to see, particularly from Nissan, is the, the Winfield from, from 92. I mean, that would be just... I think that would be awesome. I, I mean, I'm, I'm anything, anything prior to '93. I never actually got to see with my own eyes. But um, I think it comes as much to, to execution as it does um, the source material. And I think you can um, throw back to those sort of 
Marlborough, Winfield, JPS style liveries without promoting um, c- cigarettes. It's, it's, a, it's a very fine line. I mean, Marlboro has been done for it before in, in MotoGP, for example, where they had the barcodes on the cars where, um, and, and on, on Ducatis and Ferraris where countries that didn't allow cigarette sponsorship and then turned around and said, no, you can't have that because it's the connection still. So the fine line, I'm not sure how much you get away with in Australia, but it's, it's interesting. And NASCAR is a perfect example of retro round done well. Uh, I think it's Martinsville. Um, no, last Darlington. Year they had Darlington, sorry, my, 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 my bad. But um, they had every single car on the grid had, was in a retro livery, and it was spectacular. The cars looked awesome. But they had all the modern sponsors. They, they were just styled retro, and I think that's the thing that fans love. They don't want the old sponsors to come back. They want that classic styling, that classic paint car, like painted race car look. And I think that's really what needs to needs to happen. Trust me, Cam. The owners want the old sponsors back. They paid <laughs> real dollars. <laughs> very much, very much so. Yeah. And the other one. See, the other one, and I, this is the unfortunate thing. The Alan Grice Craven filter car is another car that I think would look really good in a in a modern styling. Um, but how do I explain that to you without saying the Grice Craven filter car? Hmm. Because if I, I said the, the 73 Grice Tirana, everyone would just go, well, what the hell was that? Yeah. 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 And I, I think there's also there's also scope to, to move. Every, everyone thinks of, you know, that the 70s and 80s is the, is the, the go-to for retro. Because when you say retro, that's what you think of. But you've also got to remember that the 90s was, was 20 years ago, the early 90s. And there's a lot of fans that may not have ever seen those cars race in person. I mean, I'm, I'm a perfect example. I, I work in the industry, but I never saw a majority of the cars from the 90s actually race on track. And to see those styles hit the track at Sandown, I think, would be a, would be a very good thing. And the, another, another aspect is that you can also look for source material outside of V8 supercars. I mean, having a v, retro V8 round is very good, but like, like Pansky did with the NASCAR round in America, is they actually used a retro-inspired livery from one of their Le Mans races. And something that Nissan can do. It's something that Penske can do. I think Ford would be able to do that, although they've pulled out, so ProDrive maybe could, could pull a Ford sort of aspect like that. But I think there's... a re- If you have a vague sort of retro theme, there's lots of scope, and I think the teams could really have some fun with it, and the designers in particular would have a, a field day. I think it'd be a great opportunity to really get some properly cool free designs out there. At, at the moment, the, the current liveries are very... You know, they're cookie cutter. They're, they're pretty boring, to be honest. Well, they're patchwork quilts as well because people are just desperate to get a to get a, a, a couple of grand on the side of their car. Mm. Mm-hmm. And cutting up into little pieces that you can sell. Yep. Peter, are we going to see a pack leader out there? Ooh, ooh. I mean, that one is uh, tricky in its own. That, uh, Of course, it was another cigarette brand that was thinly disguised uh, to uh, get around some of the transitional rules. But, you know, it was so obviously uh, uh, the cigarette brand just um, with the obvious branding taken off. Mm. Um, well, keep in mind that uh, Craig Lowndes at Bathurst just a few years ago, when they had their retro colour scheme, it was clearly the, the Marlboro... Uh, dealer team colour scheme, but they just reversed some of the uh, the angles of the lines, so it wasn't the the traditional and, and most recognisable uh, branding. Um, yeah, it, it gets tricky. Uh, one of the things that I particularly appreciated in the, the last couple of years where the retro was done 
is the the way that some of the modern day sponsors were graceful enough to take a slightly back seat to allow the uh, the, the, the styling uh, and and some mm. of the the old uh, back in the day sponsors to uh, take up their real estate on the side of these cars. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you know, credit to the sponsors that uh, help create the magic uh, by allowing the retro. But I can imagine that's difficult. They've paid good good money for that real estate. They don't want their logo uh, made smaller. They don't want their colour scheme changed because they've invested heavily in building their brand. And critically, their logo's smaller on the one in five where it's live on free-to-air and Fox. Yep. Well, that's the thing, though. They, they would get big splashback from being in this retro scheme. I mean... I suppose if everyone's going retro, I, I think you might see less of that sponsor stepping back. But when it's only some of them, having a retro livery gets you a lot of traction, both in the, the specialist media like ourselves with auto action, but also in the mainstream media. I'm, like they would, they would happily put it on the, the, the you know the news, the channel five, like the news, five o'clock news, the weekend before Bathurst or Sandown on the Friday. You'd get the you know retro style hits the track again, and I think there's splashback for those sponsors that take a little backseat to allow style to really come out. Uh, well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Oh, there's still so much to talk about. I hope you'll stay with us. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton and Cameron Kirby. And uh, guys, uh, it's been an amazing week for... Uh, for stories and for stuff going on in the sport, but we should, you know, talk about returning to Phillip Island. I, I think it's five months since we were last there, and is that going to change the way people are going to go about their race, Peter? Well, I think the the change to the formats is the the opportunity for something fresh, something exciting. Now, I hope my optimism isn't uh, poorly placed. Uh, I loved the racing down in Tasmania. Uh, they just got it right. Something in that formula of the length of the races, the soft tyres, it just worked. But I hope it wasn't just the nature of the track. Um, I mean, that uh, turn four, the hairpin, it sort of opens up lots of things and lots of different lines and passing opportunities. Ooh, Phillip Island doesn't have a hairpin like that. Um, let's hope that this, for this formula translates to more and more tracks in creating the interesting racing. And Cam, of course, no soft tyres. This is a hard track because of the high speeds. And I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing that's going to hurt the racing is there's the lack of soft tyres. I mean, they can't run the soft tyres. It's a safety issue, and that's good on Vietz because for making that call. But soft tyres improve racing. It's been proven again and again and again, and a lack of hard tyre, uh, racing on the hard tyre is, is going to hurt the, the product. I think what is going to help the product, though, on this weekend is 
it's funnily enough, it's the tyre degradation, the fact that it's an abrasive sort of track, Phillip Island. Um, and I think tyre strategy is going to be key. And that longer Saturday race is going to really... Like, the sprints did not work at, at Phillip Island. Um, so I think that coming in and having the, the longer race is going to really spice up strategy when it comes to tyres. You might see a couple of people, I think, gamble kind of like BJR did it on Saturday at Simmons. They might run a bit longer and hurt themselves at the start of the race, but come through the field on, on fresher tyres. So I think it's going to be interesting. Phillip Island, it's a great, it's a great track for, for motorbikes. You know, MotoGP and World Supers, it's great to watch, but V8 Supercars, it's not, it's not perfect. And Tasmania does have that better, as, as Peter noted out, you know, more passing opportunities. It's going to be interesting. Mm, Peter? Yes, uh, in recent years, Phillip Island has put on a pretty good show uh, that, um, you know, that there's passing and, and competitive racing. I do cast my mind back, and I think it was back in the the, the years that uh, Mark Scaife was so dominant in the sport and won the multiple championships. Phillip Island, when the uh, when the conditions are, are, are wrong for spectators, um, and where there's a lot of aero as part of the uh, part of the, the the speed and competitiveness, uh, it makes it very hard to pass because of all of those. Uh, they're great, exciting from a driving viewpoint, the fast sweeping turns, but if there's too much reliance on aero, it makes it impossible for people to pass. Um, that's my greatest fear about Phillip Island. Um, you really do need a game changer like tyre degradation or uh, maybe differing fuel strategies. People who have rolled the dice and uh, may end up running out of fuel, um, which we saw uh, a couple of times there when it was the... Uh, uh, you know, the 500-kilometre race. Uh, yeah, the, the other things like that sometimes are needed. Or tender. Yes, yes. Uh, sometimes you need things like that to spice up the racing at Phillip Island. Um, yeah, brilliant track, uh, fabulous speeds and all of that, but it's not the door handle to door handle stuff that uh, we saw at Tasmania. All right. Now, mm-hmm. Craig Lance has won 11 races at the circuit, uh, Jamie Wincup and Garth Tander five apiece. Last year, it was a Red Bull Racing domination with Lowndes taking races one and three and Wing Cup splitting the difference. Do we expect that it'll be a another Red Bull, Triple Eight, Team Vortex, Techno, Team 18, Triple Eight, <laughs> you know, uh, domination? Uh, for me, yes. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're on song at the moment. They have... It, they've, they've kept that domination started there at Phillip Island going. They're still on fire. But it's also interesting to note that, that although Triple Eight, you know, were, you know, Craig and Jamie did really well last year, Scott, Scott McLaughlin also was on the podium for every race. And if that Volvo can get sorted, he should be, should be in there mixing it. So it's not going to be a, a complete Triple Eight whitewash, but I would, I would not advise betting against them, particularly Shane Van Gisberg. And I mean, hit that, he has adapted incredibly well to that Red Bull, and he was honestly on for two wins. He was on the clean sweep Tasmania, and obviously he 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 messed it on the on the Sunday. But I think he's going to be coming back pretty hard oh, for Phillip Island. He's not going to make that kind of mistake again. Mm. All right. So your tip, uh, Van Gisbergen. All right, Peter. Uh, it's a compelling argument for Van Gisbergen, isn't it? We've just uh, established that Triple Eight have form. Triple um, Eight. Uh, well, Van Gisbergen's got something to prove after his uh, uh, unlucky judgment down in Tasmania that stole the victory from him. Um, really, the question then becomes, will he be too determined? Will he uh, perhaps overdrive it? 
um, will a reward be for someone that is more consistent and precise? Uh, I'll go for Win Cup. All right. Now, after the break, it's a final thought and observation and then the game that everyone has been raving about. Who would you rather be next on Inside Supercars? Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought or observation, Peter Norton. Um, normally, this is where I uh, stick my neck out and uh, uh, pick a, the, the race winner and that kind of thing. So uh, I'm a little bit stuck then for the, the final thought. Uh, I guess coming back to the, uh, all of the, the news about you know, the, the, the business side of V8 supercars, um, I hope that's a, a quick distraction that can be resolved so we can get back to concentrating on the racing, uh, provided that Tasmania-like racing continues to land in our lap. That's what uh, the sport should be about. Cameron Kirby. Uh, my, my final thought is the fact that it's a bit we haven't talked about it tonight, but I think the silly season is going to kick off a lot earlier this year than, than we expect. There's a lot of big names off contract, and I think if we thought last year's silly season was silly enough, then this year's going to blow us all out of the water. There's going to be a lot of shifting and changing and and shadow games this year, I believe, and it's going to be very, very interesting to watch and see what the outcome is for 2017. All right. Now, you're interesting you say silly season, Cam, because who would you rather be is definitely focused on silly season. And if I'm Ryan Story, who would you rather be? James Courtney denied whether he's going to come to the team or perhaps Scott McLaughlin, who's also out of contract who would you rather be, Courtney or McLaughlin? Uh, for me, I'd rather be McLaughlin. I think I think he is a much better fit for a DGR team Penske and b uh, anywhere. To be honest, he's 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 a big favourite and he's going to be the biggest head hu- hunted this year in the silly season. So, and you remember, like although Courtney has won that title there, did he leave on the best of terms? Was it you know is he is he welcome back? It's, it's an interesting sort of dynamic. Well, of course, it was uh, quashed as quickly as it started, that rumour. Peter Norton, who would you rather be having to go into contract negotiations? Ryan Walkinshaw to try and keep Courtney, or or Adrian Burgess, I should say, or would you rather be Gary Rogers trying to keep Scott McLaughlin, who has been saying, I want to stay ever since he thought about a contract renewal? I think I'd um, rather be the Walkinshaw crew. Uh, I think that they've got a, uh, with Courtney, they've got a a close-knit relationship. I think it would take a a great deal of money to leverage him out of of the Walkinshaw cars. Um, But uh, then again, we know that Courtney has a a very good uh, business manager uh, that um, wouldn't let him stay out of uh, sentimentality or anything like that. Ultimately, this is a business. But, yeah, I think the Walkinshaw one is where I'd prefer to be. Those negotiations, I think, uh, 
uh, would be a bit more friendly. Mm. Well, it's interesting times ahead. Cameron, I hope you uh, enjoyed your first night on Inside Supercars. Definitely. It's been a blast. Thank you for having me. And Peter Norton, always a pleasure to catch up with you. It's always good fun. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.